Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. I really struggled with the title for this message. Could call it many different things, but I finally concluded by grace through faith. Anybody else need a copy of the notes? Just kindly raise your hand. By grace through faith. I want us to begin by looking in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. A verse that should be familiar to all of us. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Bible is all about God's plan for man. Can you say amen to that? It's all about God's plan for man. And in that plan, we know he's begun with creation but he ends with where we spend our eternal destination. And that could be either the lake of fire or that could be in the new heaven and new earth. Anybody interested in the lake of fire? Going once, twice. I didn't think so. What about the new heaven and the new earth? Absolutely, that's where we all want to be. Well, it's also true that Jesus is the main character in the Bible, wouldn't you say? And if someone were to ask you to summarize in one statement what the Bible's all about, what the Old Testament's all about, what the Gospel's all about, what the epistles are all about, and then also the book of Revelation, it's very simple, a very simple statement. The Old Testament says Christ is coming. That verse right there that we're talking about in Genesis 3.15 tells us Christ is coming. He's going to come, born of a virgin. And remember in Isaiah where it talks about a virgin shall give birth? Christ is coming. And then, of course, you have all the, the uh, Old Testament rituals with the feasts and the celebrations and all that, uh, the Passover lamb and everything. All that points to the fact that what? Christ is coming. So we can condense the whole Old Testament into one statement saying Christ is coming. Amen? But then secondly, when we look at the Gospels, what do they say? Christ is come. We know that Christ has come. If you recall, when the angel appeared before the shepherds, what did they say? Unto you is born this night in the city of David, Christ, which is the Lord. So Christ has come. The Word was made flesh. Christ is come. And we can show you many other scriptures that talk about the fact that Christ is come. Well, as a matter of fact, I can think of one in John's Gospel, chapter 4, if you recall the story with Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Remember, she had all kinds of questions that she's asking Jesus, and Jesus then read her mail. And then she said, well, I know when the Messiah has come. See, they were looking for him to come. He will answer my questions. He'll tell me all the things I need to know. And what did Jesus say to her? I'm him. He that speaketh to you am. I that speaketh unto thee am. You know, the, the King James says, I am he. But the he's italicized. So really what he said was, I am. I am the Messiah. So I'm here. So the Old Testament, he's coming. In the Gospels, he's here. The epistles then, what do they say to us? They say he came. 
we're living in that time right now. He came. And that's important for us to know because he came to do a certain work. For many reasons, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested for certain things that he had to do. And before he went back to heaven, he said, I accomplished everything that I was sent to do. And so that's where we're living in right now. But then at the end, the book of Revelation kind of stands out by itself. But what does it say to us? Christ is coming again. He is coming again. We know that he's coming again. He's going to set up his, his kingdom here upon the earth and reign on the earth for a thousand years and so on. But there we have the whole Bible in a nutshell in four simple statements. Christ is coming. Christ came, is, has come. Christ came. And Christ is coming again. Now, we live in the epistles. In 1 Corinthians, notice chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellent speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you but what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. If he is the main character throughout all the Bible, you realize everything in the Bible points to him, points to Jesus He's already come, we know that. And he accomplished a purpose in the will of God. So we're living in the time of the epistles. And the epistles reveal to us everything that Jesus did for us in his great redemptive work. So the work has been finished. He said, I finished the work that you gave me to do. Redemption has been completed. The work has been done. And now it's up to us to learn about what has been done so that we can walk in the light of what we have in him. Remember that verse in 1 John 3 and verse 8? What does it say? Basically, I'm going to look at the latter part of the verse, but it says, He that committed sins of the devil, for this purpose, for the devil sinned from the beginning, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. What was his purpose? That he might destroy the works of the devil. So my question is tonight, did he come and did he destroy the works of the devil? We can look at it from a two-fold perspective. When he was on the earth, he destroyed the works of the devil. Everyone that needed help and healed, delivered and set free, he helped, he healed, he delivered, he set free. When he was on this earth, even the dead didn't remain dead in his presence. Even the storms of life didn't stop him. Peace be still, he said. And what about the times when he just got in a boat, the boat was over to the other side in, in a flash, just like that translocation took place. He was not bound by the laws of nature. He walked on the water. He turns water into wine. He raises the dead. He heals the sick, cleanses the leper, sets the captives free, creates body parts. I mean, the list goes on and on. He came and destroyed the works of the devil. But then also in his resurrection, he destroyed the power of death, hell, and the grave itself. He broke the power of sin, sickness, disease, mental anguish. He became the curse for us and broke the power of the curse from off our lives. So every single one of us has already been, not going to be, not trying to be, but we've already been delivered and set free because he completed the work that he was given to do. And the epistles reveal that to us. And that's why it's so imperative that you and I study the Bible from this perspective. We're not living in the Old Testament. We're not living in the gospel era. We're living in the epistles. You could say it this way. The epistles are really God's letters written to us. God wrote you a letter. God wrote me a letter concerning and regarding my life and your life. And so it's all found in the epistles. Now it's important to know the Old Testament and the gospel message. We're not saying that it's not. But the Bible is progressive revelation. And we have more revelation that tells us 
all about the old. So we study the old in light of the new. Because the new gives us a, a deeper revelation of the old. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When it comes to this message of the gospel, there's going to be three responses. And those responses are true today as well. But we're going to see those in a minute. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. Not with clever words so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Hallelujah. First of all, notice group number one, the Jews. The Jews believed that anyone that hung on a tree was cursed. So why would they believe in that particular sign? They were convinced of it. If you die on that tree, you're a curse of God, and there's no way you could possibly save mankind. So you could not have been the Messiah. He called that a stumbling block to the Jews. It's, a, it's still a stumbling block even today. And they stumble over that even today because they have no idea that Jesus was the Messiah for that simple fact that he hung on a tree. But look at John's Gospel, chapter 3. And notice what Jesus said. And they heard him. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, those scholars that should have known the Scriptures should have known that he would be the substitute that would take our place on the cross, on the tree, lifted up on the pole to become the curse, just as Moses lifted up the pole in the wilderness, and anyone that looked at it got saved. But you see, they were too busy with their own religious traditions and their doctrines to understand that, so they ignored that. Okay, look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. They're looking for signs. They want signs. The Jewish people want signs, okay? Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if you were one of those and that you heard him say that, that that's a sign you're looking for, and on the third day he was raised up from the dead after being three days in the heart of the earth, you think that might convince you to believe? But you see, that wasn't a good enough sign for them. It didn't matter what he did, no matter what the sign was, whether he healed the sick, cleansed the leper, raised up the dead, didn't matter. Even himself, his own resurrection from the dead, once again, that is really something that can't be contested throughout all this time that he's been raised from the dead. And yet they still will not believe that he was the Messiah. It's a stumbling block to them. Then we've got the Greeks. The Greeks, they're, they're philosophical. They want revelation. They want wisdom. They want understanding. They want knowledge. You see, you've got to satisfy my human reasoning in order for, him, for me to believe. 
And you see, there's no possible way that some man dying on a cross or a tree is going to save mankind from his awful sinful state. So they ignored all that. It wasn't good enough for them. Then you have believers. Whether you're Jew or Greek or a Gentile, you got believers. And look at how this comes together. The Jews wanted what? Signs. The gospel message to the believer is what? The power to perform signs. It's the power of God in verse 24 is what Paul said. But then also it's the wisdom of God which satisfies the Greeks. So you can say what he is saying to the believer is, all I need to be satisfied is the cross and its message provides power and it provides wisdom. So the power to perform signs and wonders and the wisdom to navigate through life and eternity by the hand of God, by the direction of God to give me the guidance that I need. So everything the Jew wanted and everything the Greek wanted or the Gentile wanted was found right there in that message, but they absolutely completely ignored it because they were wanting what they wanted, not what God wanted. But for those of us who believe, whether you're a Greek or whether you're a Jew, praise God, it's the power of God. It's the power of God to save a sin-sick soul. It's the power of God to deliver anyone from any bondage. It's the power to heal the sick and set the captives free. It is the power of God to provide for us our every need, protection. Thank God that we can have everything that we need provided for us in the gospel message. And guess what? The message is this. Everything that needed to be done was done. The work has been finished. It's the finished work of Christ. And we should study the Bible from the perspective of the finished work of Christ. It's been complete in him. Now, redemption is finished. It doesn't have to happen. We're not waiting to be redeemed. Look in the book of Romans. We don't have to wait to be redeemed. It is a finished work for us in Christ. I've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. That means we've been bought back out of slavery. Thank God. But notice this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now we all know that verse by heart. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who's the main character of the Bible? Jesus. What did he do? He redeemed us. Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Notice, it's not automatic. It takes faith in his blood to declare his righteousness uh, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus were his boasting then. It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So here the Apostle Paul is saying to us, redemption has been complete. We've all been redeemed legally by the grace of God through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. As we exercise faith in his blood, that legal redemption becomes a vital reality in our lives. Look in Colossians chapter 1. These are the Pauline epistles, and these epistles tell us that Christ came. And when he came, they tell us what he did. And here's what he did. Giving thanks to the Father which has made, made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You have an inheritance. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us in the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness or the remission of sins. You and I have been completely redeemed from the authority of darkness. 
the kingdom of darkness has no dominion over any of us. As a matter of fact, it would behoove all of us to recognize this fact and rise up to a place that we exercise authority over all that pertains to the kingdom of darkness. Satan has no right to rule over us. Sin has no right to rule over us. Sickness has no right to rule over us. Poverty has no right to rule over us. Weakness has no right to rule over us. And the list goes on and on. Fear has no right to rule over us. Someone might say, well, I've been asking God to deal with this fear. No, he said, you speak to that fear. You commanded to go. You say, God hasn't given you to me. Get out of my life in Jesus' name. Anxiety, you've been consuming my life. I'm telling you, speak to it in Jesus' mighty name because it has no right to dominate your life. It's already been done. It's been rendered ineffective. It's been rendered powerless. It has no right to rule the believer. The child of God has authority over all the kingdom of darkness. Every single one of us has the right, praise God, to use the name of Jesus to exercise that dominion and authority. Hallelujah. Praise God. Then notice in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, what is legal is made vital through faith. What is legal? And this is where sometimes I think confusion comes into play. What has been legally done for us in Christ, the finished work of redemption, is made vital. In other words, an experienced reality through faith. It doesn't just happen. For by grace are you saved. If you would have stopped right there, the grace that provides salvation has appeared to all men. It's here everywhere. The grace that saves all men is all around us. And also, it invites everyone to come. But it doesn't stop there. For by grace are you saved how? There must be an exercise of faith in the grace of God in order for one to be saved. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So in other words... It's not because I'm keeping laws and doing it on my own. God made available redemption to every person. God made deliverance, salvation, healing, wholeness, prosperity, victory, overcoming power to every child of God. But it doesn't just happen because we want it to. It happens because we exercise faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we rise up in faith and say no to the enemy no to whatever comes out of that kingdom of darkness. And too often the body of Christ has sat back and just let the devil run over us. I just can't seem to get over this. I can't seem to get rid of that. It seems like this. I just have no power. Stop talking like that. We need to grab a hold of what belongs to us and by faith tap into the grace of God and release God's awesome power that delivers us and sets us free. Next, to fully understand this concept, this prin these principles, we must understand the law of identification. We have got to understand this law. Because when I hear sometimes preachers standing behind pulpits and others in other places, stand there and just say, you know, Lord, I'm just so unworthy to come before you and, and even call upon your name. That tells me something right there. That person does not know that his redemption is a completed work. And you are worthy because you've been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. And it is a false humility to suggest to the throne of God that I'm not worthy to approach your throne. And so we need to understand the law of identification. So we want to do that right now. First of all, our identification with Adam, number one. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, we have a revelation of what took place when Adam fell in the very beginning. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, 
and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. What's, what's he saying? We weren't in the garden. We didn't commit the high treason. But because we are in Adam and identified with Adam, his sin came upon us. It passed upon all men. Some call that original sin, but in actuality, it is just sin being passed on from one generation to the next through natural procreation. It's in the blood. So since Adam's blood was tainted with sin, every child born in Adam is also tainted with sin. We cannot escape our destiny or destination unless God intervenes and does something for us. If he doesn't do anything for us, you and I will be in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever where the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. Why? Because a man in that fallen state of identification with Adam, the first Adam, cannot in any way save himself. He can't keep the law. He can't keep the works of the law. He can't be good enough. He can't do enough good deeds to satisfy the claims of justice that were held against mankind. That is an impossibility. But thank God there's another identification. Christ's identification with our humanity and our sin. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Christ's identification. Notice I said Christ. I didn't say Buddha. I didn't say Confucius. I didn't say Muhammad. I said Christ. I didn't say Moon. I didn't say Krishna. I mean, the list goes on. Joseph Smith. I didn't say all these. No. I didn't say Russell. I said Christ. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Speaking of Jesus, this is Jesus identifying with our humanity. Well, he identified with our flesh. In John 1, 14, he identified with our flesh. How did he do that? Right there. Remember in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things are made by him, and without him not anything was made that was made. And the Word became flesh. He became identified with our flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the incarnation, the hypostatic union, He becomes one with or identified with our flesh. He's living in a flesh body just like we are upon the earth. Tell me, what other deity did that? Not one. None. So when these people say there's many different ways you can get back to God, no, there is not. There's only one way to get back to God, and that is through Christ, because only He left the glory world. Only He robed Himself in flesh. So now He's identified with our flesh, but that's still not enough. Now He has to be identified with what? Our sin. Our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For He hath made Him, speaking of the Father, had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ identified with our flesh, and now Christ identified with our sin. Remember the prophecy of Isaiah way back in Isaiah 53, when it said, 
surely uh, he bore a sickness, carried our pains, and with the stripes we were healed. Remember? The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we were healed. He made him to be sin for us. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. God the Father did a work in Christ on Calvary, at which time he identified with our sin and became sin. He actually became. This is hard for us to even fathom, to, to really grasp mentally. It's hard for us to understand it. But he took all that sin is upon himself. He took our sin, the sin of the world, upon himself on that cross which marred his visage so much, he did not appear to be human-like on that cross. We have yet begun to understand the depth of the suffering of our Lord to redeem us and to finish the work that we're talking about. Can you imagine that? He becomes that. He became sin. And he paid the price for our separation from God. And why did he do it? So we could become righteous. That's why he did it. And that should just melt every heart and really challenge every individual to be a lover of Jesus and to thank him from the depth of our souls. Why? Because it came on him so it, not become, so it could not come on you or on me. He took it as our substitute. He identified with our sin. Then, thirdly, our identification with Christ. Now, we identify with Adam. We became sinners in Adam. Christ identified with us our humanity and our sin, and he took it upon himself. That leaves us to make a decision. But first of all, let's show you this. In the book of Romans, once again, a revelation of our identification with Jesus. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now keep that in mind and go to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6, English uh, Standard Version. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Notice this is past tense in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So to understand the law of identification is this. I'm not trying to be anything. I have been made something. I identify with him in his death, his burial. Think about it. He was crucified, right? 
I identify with this. I was crucified with Christ, Paul said. So we identify with this crucifixion, with his death, with his burial, with his being made alive, with his being raised up, with his being seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So if you could look at it correctly from a biblical perspective, in the mind of God, when he was crucified, so were we crucified with him. When he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he was made alive, we were made alive with him. When he was raised up, we were raised up with him. When he was seated, we were seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not trying to have this happen to us. This has been already given to us in Christ. So we identify with him. Now a decision has to be made for every person alive on the planet. We can remain identified with the first Adam, and many choose that path. You can stay in Adam, in that condition, if you want to. But the other choice is Christ took upon himself all the punishment due to the first Adam and anyone that follows him. To make it available to all of us to accept his sacrifice, his finished work on the cross, and receive everything, the inheritance that he offers to all mankind through his precious blood that was shed. Hallelujah. So it's up to us to decide. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 in this context. Therefore, if any man be in, you know, we could actually substitute Christ and put in the last Adam. If any man be in the first Adam, look out. But if any man be in Christ, the last Adam, he is a new creature. One translation says, a new species that never before existed. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Notice, we're not trying for that to happen. It says, if you're in Christ, it's happened. You are a new creature. You are a new species. You are no longer under the Adamic sin nature. You're no longer a child of, of death or you're under the jurisdiction of Satan. Praise God, you've stepped out from beneath all that. You've had a blood transfusion with the blood of the Lamb. You've got a brand new heart, a brand new life, a brand new nature. With it, all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're saved, you're healed, you're delivered, you're set free, you're prosperous, you're made whole. And the list goes on and on and on. We already have these things. And what faith does, it takes what grace makes available and makes it a reality. Grace made all things available. In other words, legally, every person can have all those things. But it's not vital till they take their faith and make it happen. You've got to exercise your faith to make it happen. So... Faith takes what's legal and makes it vital. Look in Hebrews chapter 3. Faith takes what's legal. See, it's legally mine. Do you realize this? The whole world is legally saved. You realize that? The whole world, any person who's ever living in the world right now is already legally, listen to what I'm saying, legally saved. They're not vitally saved. But in the mind of God, they are legally saved. Um... Correct me if I'm wrong when I say this. You reach a certain age, you can collect Social Security in our country. Am I right? So legally, you can collect Social Security. Okay. So when you're 65 and nothing comes in the mail, and you're 66 and nothing comes in the mail, and you're 67, nothing comes in the mail, and you're 70 and nothing comes in the mail, how come you didn't collect any? 
Oh, you forgot to apply for it. Oh, you mean someone was supposed to just come along and give it to you? You mean you had a part to play in it? Grace makes everything available. It's all ours right now. It's on the table for the taking. But faith makes it a reality. I have got to do something with my faith to take what Jesus bought for me and make it mine. Make it a reality. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Let us therefore fear, let a pro lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter my rest, although the, listen, the works were finished. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. The works were finished for Adam and Eve, but they stepped out. The works were finished for the Israelites to enter into the promised land and experience all those wonderful things, but they didn't enter in. And what kept them out? Unbelief kept them out. A warning is given to all of us. Everything that was finished in Christ, act of redemption belongs to us now. It is ours now, but it takes faith to tap into the grace of God and make it a reality in our lives. It's up to us to do our part. I believe it, in other words, and so therefore I receive it. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith. Have you been justified by faith? In other words, grace made your justification possible, but you didn't experience it until you what? Took it by faith, okay? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, grace provides more than just being saved from sin. We have access into the grace of God that has provided for us everything that we need to prosper and be in health and succeed in life. But it's access by faith. It's up to us to access it by faith. So the work is finished, and we just can't sit back and just say, well, if God wants to bless me, God will bless me. God wants to help me, God will help me. God wants to heal me, God will heal me. God wants to deliver me, God will deliver me. You can say that to your blue in the face. It'll never happen. You, you can tell a sinner you need to accept Christ to be your Savior and Lord, right? If they just sit there and say, well, God wants to save me, God will save me. No, he won't. He already saved you in Christ. It's up to you to receive it, to take it off the table and say it belongs to me. It's up to us to go get a hold of it and grab it and just say, this is mine and I'm not letting go. Why do you think Jesus said, hold fast what you have? Because the devil wants to take it from you. Doesn't want to let you get it from the first place, but then he wants to take it from you. So don't let go of it. Grab a hold of it and say, this is mine. This is mine. I have it now. By faith, I access the grace of God. So there is a language of grace and there's a language of faith. The language of grace says all men are saved legally by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But faith says... I think I'll take that. I believe I'll receive that. I receive my salvation in the name of Jesus. Praise God. So you see, you have to come to, to the cross. 
You've got to get a hold of it and say, it's mine. I receive it. I take it now. And now, guess what? I have activated the grace that saves a sin-sick soul. But what saith it? The word of faith is near you. It's in your heart and your mouth, the word of faith that we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth he confesses to salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So is the whole world saved? Legally, yes. But has everyone called upon that name? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know them. I know them as well. Many refuse to. They don't want to. Because you see, they want to control their own lives. They don't want to live for somebody else. Not Jesus. But you've got to call upon that name. Okay. What else does it say? What else does grace say? Grace says that all are delivered and set free. Delivered from the powers of darkness and set free from the chains of bondage. That's what it says. All men have legally technically been delivered and set free. Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, Jesus said, be loose of this bonds on the Sabbath day? She ought to be free. Well, guess what? Jesus died to make us all free. And when he was raised up from the dead, the chains were broken. He destroyed the works of Satan. He has no right to hold us in captivity or bondage anymore. So whatever it is that we say we can't get free from or delivered from, guess what we ought to start saying? By faith, I've already been delivered from you. See, grace says deliverance is available, but faith says, I think I'll take it now. I believe I'll receive it right now. I receive deliverance. I have it right now. I am delivered. I am set free. Praise God. I'm going to praise him and praise him because I am set free. And before long, what you do is you activate the grace of God that delivers and makes it a reality. It makes you free from whatever it is that's been holding you in bondage or me in bondage also grace says healing belongs to every child of God actually it belongs to everybody in the world it belongs to every person because he died for the world not just for us he died for every individual person to be saved delivered and now healed grace says all men are healed God says I see all men healed it's not why didn't God heal someone. It's why didn't they receive their healing. That is really the way it should be. So grace says all men are healed. What does faith say? I believe I'll take that now. I believe I received my healing. I have my healing now. Jesus already paid the price. The work was already done. He bore my sickness, carried my pain with the stripes. I was healed. If I was healed, then I am healed. So body, get moving and line up with the word of God. Hallelujah. I call you healed. I call you delivered. I call you set free. Use our authority in Jesus' name, hallelujah, to curse the sickness, to curse the disease, or to change the situation. So in other words, God has empowered us to do this. And as we use our faith to tap into the grace that's already been provided that made legal every one of us to be healed and be whole, then praise God, it becomes a reality. That it's up to us to use our faith in order to achieve it. And then grace says, and I love this one. This is 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says that Jesus has already been made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's what it says. Do I need wisdom? He is my wisdom. Do I need righteousness? He is my righteousness. Do I need sanctification? He is my sanctification. Do I need redemption? He's my redemption. So that's what grace says. Grace says all men can be made righteous. Right? Can have wisdom. Sanctification. Redemption, it's all on the table. What does faith say? 
I'm taking it now. Jesus, I'm calling you my wisdom. I'm calling you my righteousness, my sanctification, my redemption. As far as I'm concerned, I am wise. I am righteous. I am sanctified. I am redeemed. I'm taking it now. I have it now. I just decided to agree with God. How can two walk together except they be agreed? He says I'm healed. I say I'm not. He says I'm righteous. I say I'm unworthy. You see what's been happening in people's lives? We're not seeing the finished work of Christ. We're not seeing that it's already been done. We're not seeing it's been an established fact. And so what we're trying to do is trying to get God to do something that he's already done. And he's like, I already did it. I already did it. But Lord, I need strength. I am your strength. Just start saying, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Start tapping into the grace by your faith. Activate the power of God within. Start saying, I have wisdom in my inward parts. He leads me, directs me, guides me by his spirit. I declare it, I decree it, I call myself delivered and set free and made whole. I call myself wise. I am the righteous of, righteous of God in Christ. We've been criticized by people who have said, who do you think you are to call yourself righteous? I said, I didn't. God called me righteous. And I think he's smarter than you. How can you say you're delivered when you know you're not? I didn't call myself delivered. He did. I'm just agreeing with him. And he's smarter than you. How can you say you're healed when you know your leg hurts? I didn't. He said. And God's smarter than you. He's wiser than you are. I just learned he's wiser and smarter than I am. I started agreeing with him. My body wasn't. Maybe your bank account's not, but I'm going to start agreeing with them. Because why? His grace will be activated and the power of God will come into manifestation and make that a reality in our lives. I, why does he say, let the weak say I'm strong? Because that's how we activate the grace of God. By agreeing with him. And is he smarter than we are? Hallelujah. So in other words, our senses are not to dictate to our lives. So in conclusion... Is redemption finished? Has it been complete? Did Jesus do the work he was sent to do? Did he deliver us from the powers of darkness? Did he translate us into a new kingdom? Did he bring us out of the realms where Satan has jurisdiction over people's lives? Yes. What he did was a legal act that if we could have the curtain that separates the two worlds, the spiritual from the natural world, moved apart, we could actually see it in the spiritual world that we have been Completely delivered, completely redeemed, set free, healed, made whole in the spiritual realm. We'd see all that. Then all we'd have to do is agree to it and start thanking him that it's done in our lives. Or just saying, I declare it done in my life. I proclaim it done in my life. I renounce the works of darkness. I stand against all that is wicked, all that is evil, all that opposes the will of God. And the will of God has already been manifested in Jesus. When he walked this earth, he wreaked havoc with the kingdom of darkness. Can you imagine a time where people lived on this planet and they saw the will of God in manifestation with great power and might? Can you imagine when Jesus walked the shores of Galilee 
And a blind man came and he said, go wash in the pool. And he came back seeing another man was lying there at the pool. And he couldn't, he couldn't be helped for all this time as long as he was there. But Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? And he lifted him up and he said, yep. And he was made whole right there before their eyes. Can you imagine the blind man, the deaf man who cannot see or cannot hear? All of a sudden, Jesus says, be open. Spits and, spits and touches his tongue and the man speaks. Can you imagine up there on the mountain when they, they threw to him all that were blind, deaf, dumb, and maimed? And they threw him at his feet and all of a sudden they're all healed, delivered, and set free. And he standeth, but the will of God be done on earth as it is heaven. The will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the will of God has been done on earth as it is in heaven in the lives of those that understand these principles and receive them and walk in the light of them. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do because you got this old bag of bones to contend with. Wouldn't you say? You got a flesh to contend with? You got an unrenewed mind to contend with? But I'll tell you what, if we take the light of the word of God that we just heard here tonight and we really embrace it, take it to heart, we start walking with a new swagger, start declaring and decreeing, I've been saved, I've been healed, I've been delivered, I've been set free, I've been made whole, I am provided for. My God brings water out of a rock. My God brings manna down from heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Wouldn't it be amazing walking in the full light of that? Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. It takes faith to make a reality out of what grace made legal so it's legal but is it vital and there's where we cross that line you know what I mean because we want to be led by the senses and they, they dictate to us but I'll tell you what if we can learn to, to know what what is it first Corinthians 5 7 that's second Corinthians 5 7 we walk by faith not by sight but what a lesson to learn I've been preaching it for 38 years, and I probably learned just about that much more. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, over the years, we're learning these principles. We're learning these truths, and we need more light and more light and more light and more light, more revelation, more revelation, more revelation. Praise God. So let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I opened the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you 
and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.